Here at GCSE Pod, we put the student and teacher at the heart of everything we do, from creating quality assured curriculum mapped content that you can trust, to tools and features that improve the working lives of teachers. In these times when everyone needs to rely on quality more than ever, GCSE Pod delivers peace of mind along with evidence of impact. We understand that along with safety, motivation and engagement are essential to keep everyone on the right track. Keeping students on task and giving teachers the confidence to deliver learning from wherever they are is a mission that we're proud to achieve time and time again. To find out more and be in with a chance to win a motivational day with CAM for your students, contact us quoting reference D2R. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Dreams to Reality podcast. And today we have a very, very special guest, Henry Warren. How are we today? I'm very good. A little bit tired. My four-year-old decided to join me in bed at three, four o'clock this morning. Um, other than that, I am good. I have my coffee. So I imagine by the middle of this conversation, <laughs> we'll a sentence together. Plus you was up for the school run as well. How, how, how is the school run in lockdown going for you? Uh, well, there's less people there. Um, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, I think we just have to get through this uh, horrific phase, don't we? Yeah, how has um how have you been impacted by everything with lockdown and coronavirus? Even I guess started a year ago. How have you been impacted? Yeah, so I mean, fortunately, uh, all all family members are are, are safe and, and well, and my heart goes out to to those that have been really uh, impacted in terms of their, their health. Um, so I mean, I, I I do a number of different things. My my business out in South Africa, uh, we had to pull a whole load of people out of Cape Town. Okay. So pretty much to the four corners of the earth to make sure that they were safe. Um, yeah, lots of kind of business ramifications, but I think family, broadly speaking, are all okay. Okay, good, good, good. So just say, Henry, you're on holiday and you start talking to somebody and they say, oh, Henry, what do you do? How would you explain what you do? What is your main businesses? What is your focus now? Tell me a bit more about that. Well, when people ask me that, I, I tend to normally dodge that conversation because I have a very succinct answer to it. And so I end up waffling. So I'll, I'll try not to do that uh, here. But really, I, I tend to work on things. I have I have three North Stars. Can you have three North Stars? Three kind of guiding things um, that, that govern what I do. Uh, everything involves some form of, of education, innovation and, and technology. So... Most of the things that I'm involved in uh, are those. So I'm spending most of my time uh, split in uh, three directions, I think, at the mm. moment. The first is I, I have a business in South Africa uh, called Watobi. This is around using mobile phones to address the large-scale systemic problems that we have in education across the continent. Um, I then have <clears throat> a charity, um, which is the Turn On the Subtitles campaign, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and then I have an innovation agency. So I, I work with a variety of different companies and, and charities to uh, usually spin out new businesses involving the words digital and education and sometimes innovation. Okay. Is it always in the, the third kind of business? Is it always in education or do you kind of branch out as well? kind kind of branch out if i'm if basically i'm I suppose i'm fortunate in a way I, I get to kind of work on the projects that i find most interesting yeah um and usually though that does uh, correlate with with education that's the main theme but so for example the other day i was working with um national grid uh, looking at how they can bring in more um uh, bame employees into the into the workforce and how they can kind of 
being slightly less governed by white men in their 50s. Mm. Got you. Okay, so you just said that you can kind of choose your projects, right? That doesn't happen overnight. And that must mean you've done a lot of work previously. You've worked extremely hard to be in a position where it's not luck. You've put yourself in a position where you can kind of pick and choose and work on projects, which I guess you're passionate about, projects that inspire you. Tell me a bit more about your kind of your journey getting up to this point, Ren. I think there is a fair bit of luck. <laughs> Anyone that says otherwise is probably somewhat delusional. Um, so yeah, my 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 history is a weird one. Uh, I'll, I'll do the kind of the quick version. So it, it, it's hard to kind of tell my story without actually starting at, at school because my my passion for education started there. Because frankly, I hated my education. Um, I was bored most of the time and, and I didn't attend a great deal of school <laughs> and um, I was predicted to fail pretty much every exam I ever sat and my parents this is after my my A-levels uh, which uh, my teachers were pretty certain I was going to fail because they had a, an evidence base of zero to go on um, my, my parents in utter frustration said look he just needs to grow up so we'll, we'll stick him on an aeroplane send him to Africa and um, he can go work in a school over there. And once he's grown up, he can come back home and reset his A-levels and get on with his life. Wow. That was kind of the start of my, my journey, uh, sort of my, my passion for Africa, my, my passion for education. Wow. So whilst I was teaching, I was teaching in this, this really gorgeous video in kind of the foothills. How old was you then? I was about 17, I think. Wow. Uh, at that point, I was terrible. That's a, that's a big step. I mean, being seventeen and well, yeah, I, mean, I was so immature. I actually I looked up where Uganda was, literally on the plane uh, to it. <laughs> so I just it was kind of sort of stumbling my way through life at age seventeen. I was much more interested in in rugby and other things. Um, but yeah, so I was teaching. I was teaching out there, and the school was going through a tough time. It was a really poor school, and the um, there was a riot and some of the boys uh, decided to take matters into their own hands. They weren't happy with the way in which the school was being run. So they, they tried to kill the head teacher and they uh, tried wow. to burn the school down. Luckily, luckily the head teacher managed to escape, but uh, they did manage to burn the school down. And so I was there sort of throwing buckets of water over this, this school, uh, frankly, to no effect. Um, and I made a, I made a promise, you know, to the to the head teacher who was in floods of tears uh, the next day. I made a promise to him that I'd help him rebuild his school because it's got a stupid thing one says when I'm seventeen. I have no bloody idea how you're going to do it. Uh, but I came back home, started a charity with a good friend of mine, Marsha, who is now actually my lawyer um, as well. And that kind of that kick started uh, me into into that space. Where do I go from there? <laughs> so that was in Uganda then, was it? Yeah, yeah. So it's on the kind of Ugandan-Kenyan border, uh, but in Uganda. Foothills and Mountains are all gone. You say um, you like rugby. Do you have a favourite rugby team at the moment? I do. We don't talk about it very often because it's Saracens. Um, <laughs> and uh, we are, are have currently been relegated and it's all a bit, it's all a bit sad. Okay, uh, so what, what about... Um, the work you're doing in South Africa then talk to me a little bit more about that and why South Africa why not Uganda or do you work all over the continent um why South Africa at the moment 
Well, the intention is to go pan-continent. So the, the question is really, where do you start? And South Africa seemed like a, a good place to, to, to kick off. I mean, let me talk for a second about Africa and why I'm so obsessed with this and why I'm, I'm, I really want to drag as many companies, as many entrepreneurs, as many investors as I can into this, into this space, um, that space being education in Africa. So the standard of education across the continent is really, it's really poor. There's no other way to, to, to yeah, put okay. it. There's a number of reasons behind this, um, but not least of which is just that there's a lack of money in the in the systems. But I mean, the standard of education is such that you know, forty percent of the kids across the continent can't even hit the bare basic minimum standards according to the UN. Um, and the standard of teaching overall is, is is pretty poor. Four out of five teachers in South Africa can't even do the sums that they're asking their twelve year olds to do. Say that. Um, Four out, four out of five. Four out of five, yeah. Teachers. Teachers, yeah. Wow. Okay. So the standard of teaching is 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 poor, and this is not because people are, are, are stupid or lazy or anything like that, but actually just the standard of teacher training has just been pretty pretty woeful. And South Africa is arguably one of the better ones. But then on top of that, you've got a huge teacher shortage. You have a teacher shortage of one point two million teachers. Okay, wow. and that's just a standstill. And then when you throw into that um, the huge population explosion that's going on. So in the next nine years, um, uh, the majority of all students on the planet are going to be in Africa. Right now, uh, I think it would be a bold statement to say that we know that we're going to be able to educate these kids. Uh, I don't think that we can. So what I'm really interested in is, you know, what are the scalable, sustainable, uh, financially viable solutions that we can use to be able to educate a continent's worth of children? Wow. So what's, where does that drive come from? Why not? Charity starts at home. Why don't you just work at home? What, what, what inspires you, apart from obviously the experience you went through when you were 17, 18? Why are you so driven to have such a positive impact in Africa and, and being there working on the ground and doing what you're doing? I think it's amazing, but why? What What is the driving force? Um, well, they have better coffee. Um, I feel that's one of, <laughs> one of the major drivers. Um, now, that's not to say that I'm not passionate about uh, stuff in, in the UK or, or, or elsewhere. And, and I do, I, you know, I sit on the board of, of various different organisations, including one fabulous grant-making trust, and we do a lot of stuff in, in the UK. Um, but I think if you, if you look at education globally, right, and you look at where the really big problem is, I think it's there. I also think it's, it's something that is surmountable. Um, and I just hope that I can, I can make a little bit of a difference. Okay, amazing. Right, talk to me then, because this is where I put, this is something which really captured my attention. And I've kind of been trialing it over the last week, and I can actually see um, how it can have an impact, right? Um, Tots, turn on the subtitles. For me, I think <laughs> it's such a simple idea, but right, kind of right in your face. But it's so, I don't know, I, cu I couldn't get my head around it. It's like, really and then obviously you've got kind of the 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 research behind it as well talk to me a bit more about you said it's a charity talk to me about that where did it come about yeah just tell me more i'm, I'm fascinated by it 
Um, so I'd love to be able to take credit for the idea. I absolutely cannot. Um, <laughs> so all of this starts with a did you know? And in this case, it's did you know that if you put subtitles on children's TV programs, it dramatically improves their literacy? It's as simple as that. And when you stop and think about it, well, of course, that's just blindingly obvious. And the phrase that I hear again and again is, it's a no-brainer. But about, about two years ago, right, I got this, um, I got an email from a really good friend of mine. I've known him for sort of coming up to 20 years, which is rather terrifying. Uh, Oli Barra, and he's a dear, dear friend of mine. And we've we've done a, a bunch of different things uh, together over the years. So, you know, we set up... Uh, rally races across Europe in, in fancy dress. Uh, I think we still own the Guinness World Record for the most number of sumo wrestlers in a foot race. Um, we <laughs> gave away hundreds of thousands of pounds to, to, to children to run enterprise projects to, to teach them about entrepreneurship. We've done a bunch of different things in the past, uh, sometimes together, sometimes, sometimes separately. But every now and again, I get an email from all. And I kind of open these emails with a, a equal parts excitement and trepidation because you just kind of know oh, this is going to take over my life for the next you know few few months or, or years and this one was was no exception to that so in this email there was just there was a link uh, a link to a guardian article it's only like a couple of paragraphs long uh, and in it, it it was quite simple it just said there's some research that's been done that shows that uh, if you put subtitles on kids tv programs it improves their literacy I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I was reading it quite late at night. And one of the guys that was cited in this um, was this uh, professor in Hawaii. I thought, well, it's late at night here. It's probably a reasonable time there. I'll just call him. So I rang this somewhat bemused professor in Hawaii and proceeded to grill him for about an hour. And he was incredibly patient with me, really lovely guy. Um, <clears throat> and by the end of that hour, I was kind of hooked. I was like, oh my God, if this is right, this makes a huge difference. It's not just like a trivial difference. This is like big. So he said, go, go, go talk to this guy called Bridge Gathari, who has since become a really dear friend. So Bridge is, um, he works at the University of California, Berkeley. And so I was trying to track this guy, Bridge, down, because he's like the, the, the leading light in this space. Couldn't find this dude anywhere. Could not find him. Um, eventually tracked him down to a village in India. Um, and over a really bad line, I spoke to him. And it was kind of hard to understand each other. But basically, I said to him, I was like, this is kind of interesting. Can you, can you send me all the research? Um, and that's the sort of stupid thing one says without really thinking it through. And because then I just got this absolute ton of data. Uh, and it was that point that I realised that I'm not bright enough to be an academic and I haven't got a clue. I can't tell the difference between good and bad research. So uh, Ollie and I then went to uh, Dame Julia Cleverden, who is the... Uh, chair of the National Literacy Trust and said, oh, could, could you guys take a look at this and tell us whether this is this is rubbish? And so they they took it, went away for know, six weeks or so and came back and said, dear God, this is incredible, right? This doesn't just have a small impact. In fact, this doubles the chance of a child leaving school as functionally literate, doubles it. And when you stop and think about it, you know, I can kind of get that, right? Because it's just, you're, you're, you're watching TV, um, you're having the words underneath. It's impossible, by the way, not to read subtitles. Try it, seriously. Go, next time you're watching TV, try and not read the subtitles. That's what I've been trying the last, the last week. It's impossible to do, right? I'm trying to test the water, yeah. 
Well, there's been loads of eye tracking experiments and stuff, and the short answer is you can't. Um, so anyway, you've got kids being read along to uh, and being able to correlate the, the words with the sounds, uh, etc. So it, 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 it kind of makes sense. So now uh, Ollie and I are yeah, on, a, on a mission to try and get subtitles turned on by default uh, for kids' TV across the world. Wow. <laughs> how, how do you start that mission? Where do you go? Do you go to the top, just straight to the top or what? Well, we had, we had no bloody idea, to be honest. Um, we thought, well, I don't know anything about television. I've never worked in television in my life. Um, and to be honest, I don't really have any discernible skills. I, I have a reasonably good address book. I think that's pretty much my only skill. Um, so what Ollie and I thought we would do would be, we worked with National Literacy Trust and a couple of others and, and, and package together all this, all this data and try and make it so it was kind of digestible because it was reams and reams of it. And we thought, well, we'll just lob it over the fence to the broadcasters and see what happens. Yeah. And, and with a bit of luck, they'll take it and run with it. Uh, and that was uh, coming up to 18 months or so ago. And um, yeah, it kind of it kind of blew up. So it's now the world's largest literacy project. So it's, um, it's impacting about 322 million kids now around the world. Wow, that's incredible. So how can we... When I say we, people in education, how can we do more to kind of push this, push TOTS? How, how can we push it? Um, because obviously I was only aware of it last week, essentially, um, when GCSE pod mentioned it. And I know you've done a tweet or you also posted on LinkedIn about them putting on subtitles and the impact that that can have. But then also there's a lot of schools, right? I think even on Twitter, for example, there's only 20% of teachers on Twitter. Um, so how can we get it into kind of nearly every single school? How can we as a collective build awareness for just turning on the subtitles? Because most households, despite where you are, most households have a TV or have phones maybe do you know what i mean now with the laptops going out as well mm -hmm. people are consuming a lot more videos so just that idea of just turning on um turning on the subtitles you have literally nothing to lose and so much to gain potentially um yeah so how can we spread it how can me or just somebody else for a ceo of a trust how can we start to really really push it Okay. Well, there are three parts to the campaign. Perhaps I'll, I'll come on to the other two in a bit. But the third part of it is this uh, PR campaign uh, that we're doing. Now, I mean, to add to the long list of things that I know nothing about, uh, PR is, is right up there. Um, so I was wondering, trying to answer exactly that question, how do you get the message out? Because well, there's a whole lot of stuff we're doing on a kind of a policy level um, and working with the broadcasters, and I'll perhaps come on to that. Um, but in terms of kind of getting the message out, so I, I kind of... I was trying to work out who would be the best spokesperson to do this. So I just emailed Stephen Fry and said, this is kind of interesting. Would you like to help? Uh, thinking he's never going to get back to me. Um, and he did. And he said, yeah, I'd love to help. So Stephen has become uh, our, our kind of main uh, ambassador, one of our main ambassadors. And that emboldened me. He thought, well, Maybe I should write to some other people and uh, see who else will, will do this. And so now we have... Um, Sandy Toxvig has very kindly joined us. She's utterly lovely. Um, and we also have Rachel Riley uh, from, from Countdown and Philip Schofield wow. and, uh, and Sally Hawkins as well, the Hollywood actress, along with Floella Benjamin, uh, Dame, um, oh, sorry, Baroness Benjamin and, uh, and a bunch of others. 
So what we're doing towards the end of Feb, we're going to be doing like a big PR push. Um, and so we're going to be going out to all schools, so all head teachers, all governors, with a really simple message that's going to come from Stephen, it's going to come from Sandy. And it's really just to say, look, just tell your parents to do this. Send it out uh, via your, your parent comms. You can use, use our messaging if you want. We'll give you a nice video. We'll give you, you know, some nice uh, some pictures, some text, whatever. Or just frankly, tell them. Do it however you want. It's a really simple message. We, we're not selling anything. You don't have to go to our website. Just turn on the subtitles. And the great news is it's, it's really simple to do on pretty much every platform. It's completely free. It's arguably the best 10 seconds you're ever going to spend as a parent, the most impactful. Mm. Is there options on TV? I don't even know. Because every single time we kind of put something on Netflix, whether it's watching Soul or something on Disney, Frozen, for example, um, we, we have to manually kind of put the subtitles on. Um, I'm sure there's probably options where um, you can do it automatically. Um, also, do you think there's going to be an element of, of habit as well? Because we've spent a lifetime, for example, not having subtitles on. I guess we have to work on the kind of the habit of just always remembering to do it, I guess. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to remember to do it. You have to do it once. Okay. So if you go onto your settings um, within Netflix, um, you're literally on the profile, turn it on um, and it'll be there and it'll be there in perpetuity. And in fact, you might well find that your, um, your, your settings, your children's settings already have that because Netflix are, uh, thanks to TOTS, running a global pilot on this to look at exactly that. So if suddenly miraculously you found your subtitles are on and you're kind of wondering why, that's why. Mm. Um, but I mean, to your point around us having to get used to it, actually, I don't know, because I mean, 40% of kids already watch BBC iPlayer with subtitles on, 40%. Oh. Right? Um, and the GCSE pod trial, and by the way, I can't speak highly enough of the guys at GCSE pod. They've just been fabulous. They've totally embraced this. They've been helping us with the research. Just amazing, amazing guys. Um, some of the research that, that they've been doing, which you know we'll, we'll talk about publicly soon, um, around looking at the impact of, of subtitles and whether kids actually care about the user experience implications. The short version is, they don't even notice. Mm. So it's like putting vegetables into, into a meal and the kids don't even notice and they're getting all the benefits out of it. So what are the, being completely naive and ignorant, I know the answer, but what is the benefit of being able to read and write? What opportunities does that provide? For me, I'm heavily dyslexic. And up until the age of about 20, I never took it serious. I mean, now I've got a big bookshelf. I read all the time. I'm writing all the time. And I'm always trying to practice and, and develop and improve. I know my dyslexia won't go. However, I'm, I would say I'm a pretty good writer now. There's always some things which would catch me out. But at the same time, my whole kind of processing of information, everything is improved and developed just by writing, just by reading. Um, and it's opened up so many doors for me, even to do this, right? I might say a word around the wrong way. And sometimes that is the way I process things. But what, what is the power in being able to write and read at a high level? Well, first of all, I mean, huge congratulations to you. I mean, that's, that's a hell of an achievement. Um, but to your question, you know, why does it matter? 
Well, the short answer is it really, really matters. So look, here are some terrifying stats for you. If you leave school with poor literacy levels, you are three times more likely to be incarcerated. Wow. You are three times more likely to be hospitalized and you are three times more likely to die young. Wow. So anyone that tells you that literacy doesn't matter. <laughs> how does that have an impact though? How does that make? Well, how does it, does it make how... dying? Um, <laughs> so what, what do you, sorry, what do you mean? So what, how, how can reading have an impact on death, for example? How, or I guess I understand going to prison, but what about going to hospital? How does that kind of correlate? How does that link together? Well, there's a whole stuff around here around causation versus correlation, but ultimately it's about the life chances that, that, you're, that you're open to. I mean, there are very, very few jobs that you can get um, that don't require some level of literacy. Yeah. In fact, there's a wonderful TV programme that Sandy did um, called, oh God, it's going to, I can't remember what it's called now. It'll come to me. Um, it's on Channel 4. It's like a two, two, two to four part, uh, I think, series uh, about the people with very heavy dyslexia um, and, um, and the impact that it had on their life and trying to, trying to train them around it. I mean, look, but the, the, the impact it does have is, is profound. But here's some really scary stats. You know, we think of those numbers like, OK, it has a really bad impact. Right? Well, that can't affect too many people. Right. Well, actually, it's a lot of people. So of those within the, the poorer, poorest demographics in the, in the UK, 45% of them fall within that. 45% of them will leave school with poor literacy levels. So this is a really prescient issue uh, and something that... that inspires me, man. It, it's, resolved, it's, yeah, it's just something I'm so passionate about, um, especially because I've seen it firsthand for myself and growing up and my friends and, and stuff. And I was kind of one of the first to pick up a book and a few others now read. And there's quite a few in and out of prison, but they're just turning their lives around, going back to college, trying to get their English and doing stuff like that as well. And of course I work with some of the most kind of vulnerable children in, in well, teenagers within the UK. And I just think this whole idea of really pushing this idea of reading and, and writing and, and what it can do and kind of expanding your mind to all different possibilities. Um, because I always get annoyed because I was that person, actually. I was in university and um, that was the first time I really started. I, I only got found out in university that I was, dyslex I was dyslexic. Um, and the guy said to me, I was at like a level of a year nine student, uh, when I had to test, but I remember I was in, I was in uni and I thought maybe I've had too many hits in my head in American football because none of this stuff is making sense to me, especially as you said, the academic kind of writing and the papers, I thought, no way. Um, but it was actually my teacher called, uh, she's called Dr. Harriet Shaw at University West of England. And she is also dyslexic. And she was the one who picked it up for me. And obviously when I first heard it, I thought, oh, I'm stupid. I can't do this. There's no point finishing. And um, then I started to obviously look at people who have done amazing things. And I think, wow, if she can sit there for years and do a PhD, maybe I could get my degree. Mm -hmm. Well, excuse. it's that we all... I don't think anyone can or should be left behind. And I think, I mean, I'm dyslexic too. And it's, for me, it was about finding the tools, the systems, the processes. 
uh, to be able to work around my weaknesses. You'll never see me write anything down with a pen or paper, or at least not that. I mean, because no one can read it. I mean, it's <laughs> totally uh, and it amuses my nine-year-old daughter no end when I do. You know, I won't write birthday cards or anything like that. I type everything, and Grammarly is my savior. Like, it would be totally. Um, yeah, it wouldn't make any sense. But I, I just think in this day and age, right? I don't think there should be any man, woman or child that's frankly left behind by education. It just seems just ridiculous in the 21st century that we can't find a way to educate everyone. Um, I mean, the whole system is geared up to cater to a model that just doesn't really exist anymore. And I think it is time for some fairly large systemic change. I, think, I just think that the work you're doing I don't know how often you get told it and I don't want to blow smoke, <laughs> but I just want to say that the work you are doing is literally uh, unreal and you've got such a purpose behind it. And it's just appears that you're just working so hard. And I think, um, yeah, I, I just think it's amazing what you're doing. So if say in, how do you know when this is a success? How do you know when this is a success? I'm talking about tots now. Well, first of all, thanks. Very kind of you. And, and it's not it's not just me doing any of these things at all. Um, so how do we how do we know that it's going to be a success? Well, look, there's kind of three parts to to the campaign. Well, look, the headline answer is um, when this is available to one and a half billion kids. That's the headline. But how do we actually get there? Um, so there's kind of three parts to the campaign. So the first is the political side of it. So where necessary, putting this into legislation. So we've already got it into legislation in India. So by 2025, um, the 50% of all content will have subtitles on by, by default. That's all linear content. So what you think of as TV, right? Um, in the UK, we're hoping to do the same. So the, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson came out and backed this in, uh, in December of 2020 and is currently sitting with the Department of Education and the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. And what we're trying to do is, is push this as fast as we can. Uh, quietly confident there. The second piece is the conversations that we have with the broadcasters. So as I said earlier, Netflix have taken it and run with it. So they're doing a global pilot. We're in conversation with BBC, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Viacom, ITV, who have I missed? Um, basically, all of these guys that are moving at varying levels of, of speed. But what we're trying to do is just impress upon them the urgency. You know, we've got millions of kids. They will, so that essentially means they will put the subtitles on. So you don't even well, have to turn subtitles, on. Subtitles are already there, right? Yeah. Um, so we're not talking about auto subs, okay? You know the, the, the fairly dreadful ones where um, you sometimes have on YouTube that will uh, give some quite hilarious responses. We're not talking about those. We're talking about professionally made subtitles. Now, in the most part, those subtitle tracks already exist for, for accessibility reasons. So really what we're doing is talking about turning the default switch from off to on. Mm. That's, but in doing that, it makes a huge difference. So, I mean, it, it's pretty much night and day in terms of, in terms of overall usage, right? Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're talking to all of these different guys and then we've got the, the, the big PR campaign as well. But my big challenge with all of this, Cam, is that uh, ultimately broadcasters put everything into, into three buckets. 
stuff they are mandated to do, uh, either by the likes of Ofcom or, or governments, um, stuff that impacts the bottom line, because by and large, they're businesses. And then there's everything else. And this sits within the everything else bucket, right? And so it's quite hard to push on this. So I, I start most of my emails with, you know, apologies, it's me again. Um, <laughs> because the, the, honestly, some of these broadcasters hate me um, because I email them at least once a week. Um, where are you? What's going on with this? Have you spoken with this person? Here's some new evidence. Um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. I think begrudgingly, they, like, they all get it and they all, they all want to do it. It's just about making sure that um, we get this as high and up off up the um up the ladder of priorities okay um you've got many books in in the back what's your favorite book you've ever read oh my god it's like trying to pick your children um <laughs> i don't know um what's my favorite book i've ever read oh my god i can't have no idea um maybe come back. not the favorite then just give me a just give me a, a few of your favorite books. <laughs> Let me just turn around and look at some. This is, this is just, this is my business. This is my study, right? So um, these are just boring business books as well. Um, what's really interesting here that people might, I mean, obviously there's the innovators dilemma, which is kind of wonderful. I was really hooked by near IL. I think that's really interesting. Um, on there, um, there's yeah, the art of the start by uh, Guy Kawasaki. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, what else was I reading? Oh, well, there's actually quite pressing, um, pertinent now, sort of rework as well. That's, that's, that's kind of key about how do you actually do remote working properly. It's one of the things that I'm trying to explore is with all the different organizations that I work with, um, you know, everyone's been forced to kind of work remotely. Uh, but if you're trying to, a lot, a lot of my companies are growing quite fast. Um, and so you're hiring loads of new people and how do you make sure that you've got the the culture when you can't get people together it's really tough right mm. so I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as i can about that and you know i think i'd give myself a six out of ten so far <laughs> we've got a long way to go so we'll i ask every single guest this right if you could sit down changing it up a little bit sit down with any three people dead or alive they have to be famous it can't be like a grandparent or anything but if you had to sit down with Three famous people, dead or alive, what three people would it be? Well, you can probably tell from the poster on my wall, um, probably um, uh, President Obama um, would, would be up there. I've just been, just been watching a video with AOC about, uh, from AOC. I think she'd be pretty, pretty close uh, on there. Um, I had the privilege of, of meeting Desmond Tutu um, a couple of times, actually utterly wonderful. And I wouldn't mind seeing him again uh, or Nelson Mandela. Um, who else? Um, I think his, his highness, the Aga Khan is also utterly okay. wonderful. Um, and the fact that, I mean, I, I did some work with uh, one of his organizations. It's the only organization I've ever met that talks in terms of generations. So most of the time, you know, when you're working with a, you know, a, a FTSE 100, it's all about, you know, quarters or maybe even weeks. Mm. They're like, well, we may not get it for this generation, but we'll get it for the next generation. It's that very long-term year. Yeah. And um, I'm not gonna lie, it can be kind of frustrating when you're someone like me that wants to run at a thousand miles an hour, but also kind of quite humbling. You're like, mm. yeah. So, 
Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so before I want to let you go, what can I do more of, or what can I do to grow what I do? So mostly what I do is coaching and speaking. It did just start speaking and assemblies and motivation and mindset, but it didn't really fulfill me because it was, you can't really measure it and you don't really know the impact you're having. Yes. You might feel motivated for 10 minutes, but when you go home, you're back into reality and that, that could all go. So a lot of what I do now is kind of running programs within school, six, seven visits, um, working with the same students, mainly pupil premium. Um, but what can I do to kind of grow my online brand, my online presence, because I've got a similar mission to you, um, slightly different, but it all kind of plays hand in hand. What advice would you give me as I've got you here? So I might as well use it. Sure. <laughs> Sorry for everyone at home. You know, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'd be the last person to give you advice on, you know, growing personal brands or anything like that um i i have no idea when so i got dreams to reality so that's like i've got other coaches on board now so it's just trying to get 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 out there i guess exposure yeah i think yeah i mean i have no literally no idea why anyone ever follows me i'm still astonished by the followers that i have um but and that blue tick you got that blue tick as well <laughs> you don't want to know how i got that um <laughs> well, i do how did you get that <laughs> It came about from a tooth fairy. This is so embarrassing. Um, so a few years ago, when my, my son lost one of his one of his teeth, right? I put it under his pillow, waiting for the tooth fairy. And uh, I forgot. Hands up. I completely forgot he put it there. And two days later, he was really upset. Was like, tooth fairy hates me. Tooth fairy's not coming. God, I'm just I'm such a poor dad. Um, so I, I put the I put the pound and I wrote a letter from Barry the Tooth Fairy, which basically uh, said that the reason why it's late is because we had to send it for testing um, because there was so much Fanta and chocolate on it, and the standard of your tooth was so poor. If we get one like this again, you're not getting the pound. Um, and um, and he, you know, he read it and was suitably chastised and showed his sister. And oh, all right, we're going to brush it. it was actually, a really effective piece of parenting. <laughs> anyway, so I posted this thing on Twitter and it weirdly went went viral, went like crazy viral. Um, and at one point, it was like the number two story in the world that day. Um, and then um, wow. we ended up doing loads of TV stuff and all sorts of stuff. It was just one of those stupid things that kind of caught yeah. us up, guys. Um, and I remember I was unaware of it, <laughs> aware of what's just happened online. Well, he, well, he was when the bloody TV truck parked up outside on the drive uh, with the satellite dish. He was with, <laughs> um, Good Morning Britain, and he was so kind. <laughs> God, so he was like, "Oh, do I? Should I be proud of this or not? Because I'm basically being told off for not brushing my teeth." Um, but then um, when he was on TV, all of his all of his friends thought he was very cool uh, because of that. So he had a bit of a swagger. And at one point he talked about, you know, oh, Dad, maybe we should maybe we should move closer to the BBC just in case they need me again. Like, <laughs> I think I think they're good. Now. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that's how I got the blue tick. So amazing. OK, brilliant. Thank you, Henry. Um, 
I normally say, I would say, where can people find you? But what I'll do is I'll just get all your links, your social media following, and I'll put it all in the description um, below and on the podcast as well. Once again, guys, just Henry, thank you for your time, by the way. It's a pleasure, Cam. I appreciate it. Um, Once again, guys, thank you for following. Make sure you like, comment, and share. Also, if you do not have time to watch a video, there's always the audio version too. And remember, in life, there's two tables. You've got one table of excuses, or you've got the other table full of results. You can sit on one table, but you can't sit on both. You choose. Anyway, bye-bye.